I am Eva O, and this is the Teaking Podcast. I have been a dominatrix since 2011, and I would like to spill the tea on my life. Thank you for listening. I love watching men cry. (laughs) I have recently moved to London, England, and I have recently discovered that I can watch a lot more men cry here. (laughs) Can you guess why? (laughs) I discovered the pub. And not just any pub, but the ones that have screens in them. And what do the screens have on them? Sports. (laughs) This episode is about sports. Now, I have never been a particularly active person. I used to dance professionally once upon a time, but sports was never a focus of mine. But I have a newfound interest in going to the pub. Okay, maybe not for the sports, but to see men cry. (laughs) Now, this means many things to me. It might not mean the initial thing that you might think only, but I don't have many opportunities to see men experience their emotional selves deeply, unashamedly, with great fervor anywhere outside of the dungeon, except for the pub. (laughs) I was recently in one in Shoreditch. And after work crowd, probably a bunch of like creative-ish tech industry people with their not very interesting shirts and, you know, just doing what they have to do in the fashion department. (laughs) Nobody looked at me when I walked in. And people tend to look. Nobody looked at me. Where did they look? screen. (laughs) How did they look at the screen? With great devotion. (laughs) The screen was me. (laughs) Yeah. So the first few times that I got to see my English friends up close is when I discovered this joy is when I discovered this phenomena. (laughs) And the way that these usually communicative, sure, but emotionally cautious (laughs) people would lash out their arms and jump from their seats and feel great despair in in the period of a couple of hours was just just like work. (laughs) And I have been hooked. I have also looked at things from a slightly different angle. When my friends understood that this was of interest, they started to buy me books on sports to do with uh, data. (laughs) Give me a few numbers. Uh, Give me some possibilities and you can capture me even more. But the core of my joy still 
comes out in their tears. <laughs> and that's when I started to ask, oh, is there a game on? Oh, maybe we can go to the pub. <laughs> and that's how Shoreditch happened. And I'm at this pub in Shoreditch with all of these just after work, white collar-esque professionals and <laughs> devotion at the screen. And then something happens. I don't know what, because to be fair, I barely watch the screen. <laughs> and then the arms go, and then the arms hit me in the face, and then the beer goes and nobody says sorry, which a lot of people in England really like to say sorry. <laughs> and I am so happy. I love to see the expression. I am hesitant in the full expression of what I just said, because I think that there's definitely space where full emotion can be detrimental, if not thought over with consideration. But in the context of a couple of hours at the pub, or a couple of hours in the dungeon, or <laughs> a couple of hours with your therapist, it's time to let loose. <laughs> yeah, and I really, really enjoy can I say I enjoy sports or do I? No, I enjoy men crying. <laughs> and another time when I really, really actually bothered watching the screen was recently at uh, the World Cup. And not the Women's World Cup, even though I have been watching that a bit too. But the Men's World Cup last year. And I would stay up. I think I was in Bali at the time, so I would stay up and watch all of these players from around the world gather and emote. <laughs> emote with each other, other men. <laughs> oh, now I say this with laughter and with joke and with joy and with thrill because those are things that I love. But the point here is aside from me having a good time telling, telling you about this, is that there are not enough opportunities for men to express themselves. And I'm glad that they have found it in sport. I think there are some problematic things around it when it comes to tribalism. I think that the othering of people is detrimental, frankly. Uh, I think that... Um, yeah, tribalism extends to nationalism, extends to these borders that could be less around aggression and more around understanding of differentiation, if there is even a differentiation. So I think that is maybe the problematic thing that has kept me away from sports. But maybe I'm going to isolate a few of you listeners now when I say I've chosen a side. <laughs> and at the moment, I'm into Man City. 
but the thing is that I like them because they are. This is becoming much more about the actual sport than I than I intended this to be. But I want to finish my point, and my point is that when I saw them play for the first time, I thought, "My God, that is elegance." And I'm going to stand by that. And until they become less elegant, I am going to have an affiliation. Now I don't cheer for them. I I still think that my um, distaste for tribalism runs too strong to uh, buy a T-shirt. But <laughs> but I uh, appreciate watching them <laughs> uh, almost as much as I appreciate the emotions around me. So yeah. The parallels to the freedom of emotion that I get to witness in my work is pretty hilarious to me. In my work, I get to see people who have no idea who I am, really. I mean, they saw maybe a little bit of marketing online. Now maybe there's a lot more interviews and everything with me out there in the world. But at the beginning, you know, it's like a website. Like two, three pages, a few photos. They don't know who I am. They have an idea of who I am, but they've come to that space so that they can just let loose, so that they can get their desires fulfilled, and they can just not think about being judged, about how they're going to show up, how they're going to present. They're just going to go for their life in the emotion department, and this has a limit. <laughs> Because we do need to be responsible for our own emotions. And even though I can lead us through a journey, at the end of the day, it's a consensual two-way experience. And I will help you reflect on it. But you also are the ones doing the emoting. So you are an active participant in this. Anyway, that, that's, a, that's another story. <laughs> but in that time, the client and I, go through a whole range of emotions that society says, keep it under wraps, that says, maybe that's not a good idea to have. And I think that when you start to say, I think that's not a good emotion that you should be having or predilection and just sidelining it and not giving it at least a conversation, then we can get ourselves into much more trouble. So, I love to watch men cry. <laughs> How many times have I said that? <laughs> I will probably say it again during the course of this episode. But when was the first time that I realized that I had this enjoyment from watching men cry? I would say that it really came to a head when I was working at the dungeon, the Salon Kitty's Dungeons, when I first started my career as a dominatrix. And I had this client who came in a couple of times. He was a painter, a house painter. He'd always come in with like little bits of paint on his jeans, which is how I realized that was his job. <laughs> and he wanted first the first session to be foot worship, the second to be foot worship and being spat on, and the third that we met, third time that we met, he wanted to have a combination of the feet, the spitting, and humiliating words. 
And this third session was the one that was really the kicker. I mean, I always liked him because he was always so polite. He did such considerate things like folding his clothes beautifully and putting them out of my way so that when I would enter the room, I almost barely noticed them. Like he'd put them behind the door on the floor, like so, so neatly. And I appreciate these little details, but he must've been a great painter. <laughs> but the third session when he came in, in this in the series of maybe like a month, a month and a half, we get going. The clothes are folded up neatly behind the door. And I go through the the motion of letting him see my feet when he's bound on the floor, can't touch them, maybe putting my feet onto him, maybe dripping a little spit into his mouth and or other parts of his body. And then I start to introduce some words. I can't remember exactly what I said, but I think I used what was happening. I think I must have spoken about what was happening and how he liked that. And that's all that he deserved. Just to be at the bottom under my feet. Just to be a receptacle for my spit. And that he didn't deserve anything else. <laughs> oh. And... As the time came to a close and I said that he could come, as he did, he just let go of himself and came up to my legs. I think I was sitting on the edge of the bed and he was on the floor and grabbed my legs and started to cry. And I had not witnessed that before. Had I ever seen a man crying up until that point in real life? I struggle to remember. I really struggle to remember. I had realized that the dungeon, that sessions, that my work could be a charged place, but I hadn't realized as to what extent until that moment and I don't think I cried I know I'm getting teary now <laughs> but I was I was in awe I yeah it was it was a very sweet and gentle moment and I just comforted him as I could. I didn't make too much of a big deal out of it because I didn't think that that was what was called for at the time. And I changed my tone and I brought him back and I reassured him that everything was okay. And he just thanked me over and over again through the tears. So I'll say it again. <laughs> I love watching men cry. <laughs> mm. I think that working as a dominatrix has exposed so many things to me. 
but the constant uh, is definitely that goodness like everyone everyone like so many different people so many different types of personalities people who've chosen very different things to do with their lives people from all sorts of walks of life all genders they come to me they come to service providers like me and i'm sure they do it in their personal lives too to a different extent but they do it with maybe more freedom sometimes with somebody who's providing a service of this sort they come to us in the hopes of being seen being accepted for their desires to be heard for that emotional freedom for a little while when i talk about this i understand that a lot of the job is driven by sexuality and people come to us because of their sexual desires for the most part but these sexual desires are grounded in so much more sexuality isn't just sex it's our interactions with our emotions and our lives and our memories and our place in the world and how we might want to transcend them or how we might want to engage them or how we might want to live them differently the dungeon has been a very it's taught me a lot more than i ever realized that i would learn <laughs> i mean when i first started this i i was really doing it because i needed to pay rent because i wanted to try something different to what i was doing at the time which was working as, as a strategic consultant and i wanted to feel like my values were being spoken to more than they were in that corporate environment and this seemed very different and i just went into it with that hope but i've stuck it out because of what it's revealed to me over time it's revealed the depths of human need for each other it is making me teary <laughs> and maybe i get to see this because i tend to look at things fairly closely maybe more closely on average but it's always there and i wonder how that's going to move forward as we move forward through technologies and as i mentioned a little bit more in my last episode on becoming an ai companion i wonder how how those needs are going to evolve whether we're going to have to think about helping integrate people back into each other are sex workers going to have even more of a role maybe 
<laughs> Maybe. Hmm. I sometimes think about how technology moves and how it can create distance, but how it can also create great need. And maybe that just means more clients. <laughs> but yes, I do enjoy going down to the pub and having a glass of wine alongside a serving of men crying. <laughs> uh, I wonder how many people who are there think about their emotions. I wonder how many more people or less people think about how they're emoting in the pub versus the dungeon. I wonder what they would think if they thought about that or whether what they want is to not think about it. Is that why you're going and watching the sports? Is that why you're coming to me in the dungeon? <laughs> Do you just want to forget for a little while? I think that's fair, but I think reflection is also necessary for us all to move into places that are better for us. I think that letting go is very enjoyable and it can be necessary, but I almost feel like it sounds like a contradiction, but that frivolity should be a choice more often than not and that we would be better off for it. I feel that the world would be better if I could remember prior to that first experience in the dungeon of that beautiful person crying around my feet. If I could remember growing up around men who cried, who felt free enough who felt relieved enough, who felt safe enough to cry. So, do I like it out of a cruelty? Do I like it out of a sadism? Sure. <laughs> it probably does sound cruel, but I don't think anything is that black or white. I think that my sadism is for their emotional strife, but I think that because of how things currently are largely, that emotional experience of strife momentarily is a useful expression. Whether in the pub or whether in the dungeon. <laughs> I would say that I only realized my identity, the aspect of my identity as a sadist a few years into my work as a dominatrix. Uh, that probably sounds surprising because I think a lot of people think that 
<laughs> or maybe they're less, they're more informed than I was. <laughs> uh, a lot of people have this image of a dom, a dominatrix, that they are just wielding pain. And that is an aspect of it, for sure. But I think that there is a lot more that can happen. Uh, it's not just physical pain. Sometimes it's emotional challenge. <laughs> and it's not pain at all sometimes. Sometimes it's a specific scenario that just has to do with mm, certain other emotions that are not to do with strife. Just feeling comforted, perhaps, you know. So it really depends on people's approach, but it isn't always necessarily engaging with pain at all. But in the interest of explaining my adoration for the crying, <laughs> I will talk about how I discovered that I am an emotional sadist. And I will offset this a little bit now at the beginning, before you have too many ideas, that I enjoy a full spectrum of experience. So I'm also a little bit of a masochist, <laughs> which is why I did as many meditation retreats as I used to. But another episode. <laughs> but the emotional sadism. I think that I realized this more when I was out of the dungeon and I started to have more time in between my sessions to think. And I started to realize that actually I also started to do a lot of doubles with other people and to hear how they spoke in comparison to how I spoke, it was very striking. I really picked apart people. I really like went right in on who they were and why I thought they were doing something and how they were with the world and wanting to break them apart. <laughs> And I realize now that I do this because I prefer the person in front of me to be free, free from expectations of what they should be and the pressures that they put upon themselves because of how society puts pressures on them. And in order to do that, you have to make them self-aware. And how I do that is I watch them very closely and I tell them all about it. But what that does come with is an aspect of strife, pain, if you haven't looked at that before. Sometimes it's that you didn't want it to be there, really. But then why are you coming to see a dominatrix, right? You knew. You know it's there. Sometimes it's regret for not having faced it until that moment. But that's why you're there, because you want to. So to watch that happen, it's painful, right? Do I get off on it? In a way, for sure. but not out of a cruelty. I think it's more out of a joy. <laughs> Do those things align? I guess they must, because it's what happens for me. I gather great 
satisfaction and satiation. From watching somebody experience their emotional self for the first time or at depths that they had not yet imagined were there. And I have learned, and I've tried not to, go into spaces that they might not be able to come back from within a few hours. And I try not to go into spaces that I think could do with more regulation if they're not yet experienced around it. But I do prefer to go there as opposed to not because of how I am as a person and how I want to relate as a person. And this doesn't go down too well every time. And this isn't acceptable to many people who want to hide or who are not interested in thinking that deeply. Uh, <laughs> as I have learned, <laughs> it can backfire. But I choose carefully these days in terms of who I engage with. And I understand better how to compartmentalize that desire of mine <laughs> and just do a more basic session <laughs> also where they will not cry. But this also goes on the flip side of things. Like I enjoy that kind of strife because of what it breaks apart in terms of shattering an ego, perhaps. But I also enjoy seeing absolute giddy joy, you know? I enjoy seeing deep contentment. I guess maybe what I enjoy seeing is somebody who is honest. <laughs> just imagining a scenario where someone asks me, oh, why are you going to the pub? And it's like, oh, just to catch some honesty. <laughs> yeah, it's it's... It's been a fun ride, for sure. And now, because I don't session much anymore, because I only see my few submissives, my few slaves, my few clients that are clients turned more personal, I don't experience that shattering too much anymore because that's kind of a process you do almost at the beginning. It's a larger process at the beginning, and then it'll incremental things along the way. But yeah, do I miss it? No. <laughs> I just go to the pub. <laughs> and this doesn't only apply to the crying men. I would say that when I reflect and I think back, it's the majority of my experience is seeing men repress these aspects of themselves. But this is something that reaches to everyone. Yeah. I think this is somewhat something that we all experience just by being a part of a society, part of a community. I think that it's useful to want to regulate things in order to get along, in order to function and make the most out of your life. But I think it's also a hindrance. It's a two-part thing and a two-hand thing. 
<laughs> it's something that we need to be more reflective upon in general, I believe, and that we would be better off thinking about why we only cry at the pub. Thinking about why we are going to the dungeon. Thinking about why we're not crying when something torturous happens. Just thinking. I like it. Do it. <laughs> Do it. Is there an upper limit to this thought process? Yeah, I think people can run circles around things. Hmm. Another episode? <laughs> but it's been a joy to talk about tears, to think about the parallels of sport and dungeons to remember how lucky I am to experience people expressing themselves in such full force, to remember how dangerous that can be, to remember how full a life I have gotten to live as a result of people being willing to share that with me as a result of my curiosity in others. <laughs> so, thanks for having me in England. <laughs> thanks for having me, England. <laughs> uh, I'll see you at the pub. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Speak to you next time. <laughs>